from high above historic Belfont, and still in the smack-dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, a podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 27, Hanover, six breweries and a whole lot of snacks. As always, you'll find pictures to go with this episode on Instagram at Stag Podcast or on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass. You'll also find my link tree. Click on that to find a link to my coffee page. We can drop a few bucks to help keep this going. And if you've already donated, thank you. There's also a link to a new super short video I made to explain the show called Got a Minute? You can watch it and then share it with your friends so they can join our legion of fans. There's a link to What's Brewing PA, the beer video series I've been co-hosting with Glenn Macnow of WIP Sports Radio. It's a lot of fun and full of geeky beer stuff. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review when you're done. The more reviews and ratings we get, the better we do on search results, and the more people find the show. Thanks for your support. And now, on to Hanover. Hanover lies on the border of York and Adams counties, a prosperous-looking town of about 16,000 people. It's less than an hour from Baltimore, Gettysburg, York, Harrisburg, and Frederick, Maryland, and it really shows influences from all of them. Hanover started in 1745, when Richard McAllister bought up the forested land where the town is today and built a log tavern at the intersection of the Hanover to Baltimore Turnpike, York County's first public road, and the Monocacy Road, a native trail that was old when the settlers arrived, running east to west across the area. Anyway, McAllister would sell off his land in small lots in the 1760s with the provision that purchasers had to build a house within two years. The offer proved popular with German settlers, although the town was locally known as Hickory Town because the settlers built cabins from the plentiful hickory trees in the area, it became Hanover officially for the usual reason. One of the early town commissioners came from Hanover, Germany, and pushed the name through. Hanover would grow as a trade intersection, first on the roads and then on the railroads that went through the town. But the industry that would put and keep Hanover on the map started in the kitchens and basements and garages, the ovens and the fry kettles of the descendants of those German settlers. Snacks. Hanover is frequently called the snack capital of the world and bills itself as snack town. It's well-earned, with two huge snack companies still centered there. Snyder's of Hanover, now owned by Campbell Soup, largely a pretzel maker, and Utz, best known for their potato chips. Wait, Utz or Oots? U-T-Z, pronounced, let's get this out of the way now. I grew up across the Susquehanna in Lancaster County, and everyone, everyone in Lancaster said Utz. Now I get to Hanover, and people are telling me it's Utz. It's always been Utz. But the company's own ads say Utz. I try hard to get the right local pronunciations of things for the show, but I would kind of feel like a fake saying Utz because it's not how I grew up. I'm just going to apologize now and move on. Anyway, those are the big snack makers, and they're nationally known brands. But there used to be a lot more little snack companies in and around Hanover, and they all had their fans. I was able to get an interview with the owner and sourdough wrangler and shipper and janitor of what he told me was the last handmade pretzel bakery west of the Susquehanna, Renova Pretzels. It's a link to Hanover's snack-making past, and as he told me, they made a lot of snacks around here. They still do, and we eat a lot of snacks. 
After witnessing the crowds and full shopping carts at the Snyder and Nuts outlets, I believe him. If you're going to have pretzels and chips and popcorn and the great meat and cheese snacks you can get at Meyer's Meat Market, well, you ought to have a beer. Hanover's got you covered. I visited all six breweries in town recently and came away impressed. There are also two old-school hot dog joints in town, and of course I had to visit both. I even bought apples from an old fellow's front yard tent. We're going to get to all of that, but first, here's what I'm drinking today. So what I'm drinking today to celebrate the Rye Revival event I went to last weekend in Baltimore, I'm sampling the brand new Michter's US1 Toasted Barrel Finish Rye. They sent me this sample bottle last week, and I'm opening it for the first time right now. To make this, Master Distiller Dan McKee and Master of Maturation Andrea Wilson select mature barrels of whiskey that have already been selected for the US1 line. Then the whiskey is transferred to a second barrel made of air-dried, 24-month seasoned oak with a toasted inside, not charred, where it rests for an additional time. This bottle is from barrel 23G2641 at 109.2 proof, 54.6%, and it has a suggested retail price of $120. Let's try it. Beautiful color, uh, dark amber. Um, maybe a, a touch of red to it as well. Wow. Um, big nose. Jumping out of the glass. This is not a young rye. There's definitely some wood there. Peppermint notes. Some spearmint, too. There's a little bit of sweetness here. I always think of spearmint as a, a sweeter mint than peppermint. Some baking spice as well. There is some vanilla from the oak, which I was not expecting to find, but I guess some of that's coming from the toast. It's got a kind of smell like hard candies. I, I picked up a container of old-time hard candies at the Snyder outlet uh, because they reminded me of the ones that my, my grandmother used to have. This is reminding me of those. It's kind of spicy, kind of minty. Mm, let's get into it. I'll tell you, not real hot for 109 proof. Although at the end, there's a there's a tingly, almost um, like a like a, a a bitterness. It's that it's that rye. It's coming through. Wow, this is uh, huh, this is a very savory rye. You know, it smelled sweet on the on the nose, but there's quite a bit of uh, grain and. Some of that bitter rye oil, but still all of it kind of tempered by the oak, especially the toasty finish. Hmm. This is one that uh, rewards contemplation. Hmm, boy. I think this would make an excellent old-fashioned because the, uh, the sugar wouldn't overwhelm things. It would more balance them. That's a very mature rye. And, I, in, and by saying that, I mean a rye for mature drinkers. This is a rye for people who know they want rye. Yeah, yeah. I would try this in a cocktail, but I think this is a sipper. That's pretty good. Another winner from Michter's. Ah, whew. Tasting Michter's is always an experience. Let's go to Hanover. So before last weekend, I hadn't been to Hanover in years, 
Back in the late 1990s, when my first book, Pennsylvania Breweries, came out, there was a great beer bar in Hanover named Clingers. I'm sure some of you remember it. It was a destination because they did things right. In fact, I was just telling someone this weekend how their beer cooler had three different temperature zones, one for lager, one for ale, and one for cast-conditioned beers. I did a guest bartender night there as a book signing stunt, and I still remember it. It was a great time. But as craft brewing blew up in Pennsylvania, I didn't make the three-hour trip to Hanover anymore because I didn't have to. There were great beer bars and then great brewery tap rooms right in my backyard. Clingers went under after an unfortunate real estate investment, and I hadn't been back to Hanover since. Until last week. I was scheduled to speak at the inaugural Rye Revival Symposium in Baltimore last Friday, which turned out to be a great event, by the way. So I took a look at Hanover and was shocked to learn that there were six breweries now open in town. I made arrangements to visit and set up an interview with Kevin Beitelsbach at Renova Pretzels. My friend Dave Dries got a ticket to the Rye Revival, and we drove down to Hanover together. It was a fantastic day for driving through what I think is some of the best scenery in central Pennsylvania. Route 74, south from Port Royal, up over the ridiculously steep Tuscarora Mountain Ridge to Ickesburg, across the valley, and up over the sharp top of Blue Mountain, and then down into the rich farmland of the Cumberland Valley, through Carlisle, and on into Hanover. The first stop was at Renova Pretzels. They've been in the same single-story painted brick building off Baltimore Street since 1938, on an alley so small it doesn't even have a name. Kevin Beitelspach met us there. He's a springy, compact, energetic guy in his 60s, looking every bit like someone who used to own a chain of fitness centers. He bought Renova 19 years ago and got out of the fitness center business. He sure seems happy to be making pretzels the best way he knows how. He walked us around the place. There's a small retail area with a counter and some rack shelving with stacks of cello pretzel bags, the best-selling brokers, flavored pretzels, a small freezer with bags of soft pretzels, some other mustards, and that's about it. They make pretzels, period. There's a big mixer at the one end of it, flanked by covered five-gallon buckets full of the next day's sourdough starter. Kevin comes in at five o'clock, the dough gets mixed and proofs, and then every pretzel is handmade on a long table in the middle of the bakery, a panel of stainless steel in the middle with planks of worn, clean wood along the sides. The table looks old, well-used, but solid. The tied pretzels are then proofed and put in a big rotary oven that dates back to the 1940s, the kind they don't make anymore. It was mostly cooled down by the time we got there in the late afternoon, but the bricks were still warm. Kevin showed us some pictures of two repairmen headfirst in the oven when they had to repair the undercarriage over the summer. It was the first time they'd had it apart in years. Then he showed us the extended shop vac contraption he used to vacuum out all the leftover salt while the oven was opened up. Buckets and buckets of salt. And it was still all over the place outside like a small drift of snow. They toss the big white crystals on the pretzels by hand as they go in the oven. And they toss them with abandon. The last stop for the pretzels before packaging is the kiln in the back, a large room with racks where the pretzels are kept at a warm temperature overnight. The real sourdough makes more bubbles in the pretzels. The hand twisting keeps them there, but Kevin said that the kiln is a big part of the extra crunch that people love about Ravona pretzels. By the way, the brokers, they break the pretzels intentionally. Kevin said he knows a person's not serious about pretzels if they bite off a whole one. 
eat pretzel all over the place, he said. A real pretzel eater will break off a piece and pop it in their mouth. For more pretzel lore, let's do that interview. Hey, I'm here with Kevin Beitelsbach, uh, owner of Ravona Pretzels in Hanover. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Lou. <laughs> we, uh, we we just got a tour of the place. I'll, I'll show you some pictures later. It's, it's This is a... It's, I've actually experienced this with bourbon. It's an interesting combination of really old machinery and some, some fairly new stuff as well. It's, but it works for you, right? It works for us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How long has the company been around? 1935? Um, this location started 1935 by the Greenhole Brothers. Okay. And then was, was later changed to Ravona Pretzel. Okay. And, and you told me they, they started in their basement? Yes, the two brothers started in front of this building in their basement in 1935, and after um, perfecting it in three years, they decided to give up their backyard and build this bakery, set up brick ovens, built in the wall, fired with coal, and started making production handmade pretzels. Wow, wow. And and you were telling us this is, I mean, it's it's Hanover, it's Snacktown. Absolutely. I mean, a, There's a lot, a lot of there was that. a lot of pretzel makers back in the day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and a lot of pretzel eaters too. And a lot of pretzel eaters. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. When did you take over the company? Uh, I've been here 19 years now. So okay. that was back in 2004. All right. Um, never um, worked in a pretzel business before, but I did eat these pretzels. Okay. So I had an idea where I was headed. That first year was was a challenge getting to know the people and the business, but um, we figured it out. Yeah, I just wondered why did you buy a pretzel baker of all things? Well, actually, um, my father expressed interest in this um, about twenty years prior to that. Oh, oh, wow! And then the person who owned it prior to me getting it remembered that my father had shown interest and asked him again if he was now interested. <laughs> And at age 70, he thought he'd take a pass on it, but then he did um, share the idea with me. And after contemplating it, I thought it might be a, a good step in my career. Okay. To make clear, Ravona is Hanover spelled backwards. It is. So yes. It's, it's right here in town. Very I mean, appropriate really name are very for this much place. in town. Yes, like sir. Like an alley. We are considered part of the downtown. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and all you make is pretzels? You don't make any other kind of stuff? Um, at this time, really, we just are pretzel people. Okay. Anything pretzel, pretty much. <laughs> Hard or soft. Right. Yes. Right. Why nothing else? Well, I think um, the way the bakery is designed, it was designed specifically for pretzel making. So for us to go off of that beat, we'd have to change some things. And one thing that we are conditioned here, um, not to change. Ah, yeah. Okay. Change is not good here. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, you do make a number of uh, flavored pretzels. We do. Uh, jalapeno, yes. Yes, crab. What's in, does the flavoring go in the dough? Is it sprinkled it is. on? Yes. It's in the dough. Okay. Yes. Most of your flavored um, pretzel products might be considered a topical, where the seasoning is actually applied on the outside of the pretzel, mm -hmm. because in automation, it's very hard to put these seasonings into the dough without clogging up the equipment oh, that okay. processes it. So. What we do because of using the mixers that we do, um, we actually mix our dry ingredients right into the dough so it's not a topical one. It's, I, we think it enhances the flavor because you get it in every bite. It's then. in every bite. Yes. 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 That's, I, I'm really starting to get the impression that you do, don't do anything the easy way. <laughs> Nothing's easy. <laughs> Nothing good is easy. Okay. Anyhow. Yes. Fair enough. So how, how do you make a pretzel? 
Well, first thing you have to do is um, plan out your day and start with a sourdough. We are an authentic sourdough product, so that means we take yeast and a wet flour mix, and we actually allow that yeast to ferment. And sometimes overnight is an ample time, and then we mix that in with our flour um, blend when we make our batches. Okay. And then you blend then, that up? And then from there, depending on what we're making... Um, if it's a if it's well, a hard, pretzel, hard pretzel, hard yeah. pretzels are about one ounce, and we might make um, six batches in a day, which could be as many as nine thousand units in one day. Um, and then those pretzels are mixed, rolled, baked, and then overnight kiln dried, and then the next day packed and ready for distribution. And and when you say rolled, you're talking about like what four, five, six, eight people. On well, one person rolling pretzels okay. for six and a half hours is supposed to roll 3,000 pretzels <laughs> in a shift. Okay. So um, that um, it's a little hard to do with the way we're set up because we, um, we do so many different things compared to what they used to do here, just making hard pretzels. But uh, it used to be a piecemeal thing where they, they took six people, multiplied it by 3,000, and that's how many we're doing today. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they, they are hand-rolled. Every one of them. And hand-twisted. Every one of them, okay. yes. All right. The thing about pretzels being praying hands, is that a real story? Well, is that, that... they say that that was the development of the pretzel twist, so to speak. The shape. Was the monks used to, um, they used to pray in this manner. And with then the hands they crossed did, on the chest. Yes, and yeah. they developed a snack so that they could share it with the youth to help the youth See understand how it be. prayer okay. and it was a representation so they do attribute it to the monks now um, for us hand twisting it works well because it lays flat and we can handle it versus something that's round or circular that might roll all over the place versus okay. the pretzel that we can lay flat yeah yeah, yeah. okay um what what makes your pretzels different is it the the sour oh, i mean it's everything i suppose well the process is um when you say what makes us different is being a handmade pretzel is what makes us different. We, um, since we're not extruding the dough and we're not running it through molds, we're leaving the natural gases in the dough um, from the sourdough, and that allows us to put more air into the pretzels, and that air allows them to cure differently. So oh. there's a crunch and a taste that's different that they cannot duplicate with machine, which is fortunate for us. I mean. It you gave us a, a sample, and the the crunch is definitely the other what, what extruded pretzels seem to get dusty and gra- gra- kind of grammy. Yeah, we, we always call it kind of grammy taste. There's not a lot of air when you right. break one open; it just looks dense. It's not a lot of air pockets. In yeah, there. this yes. was more like I mean, there was almost a crunch every time I close my jaws. It's all in the crunch. Yeah, it's it all really in the is. crunch. Yes. Now we. Talked about hard pretzels, but your soft pretzels are a big part of your business. That's correct. Probably what? half of our business. Okay. What's the, what's the difference there? How do you do that differently? Um, weight and, and time in the oven are the two biggest things. So okay. it's um, per pretzel, it's a bigger weight product, and oh. then it gets baked less. We do use a special flour for that, uh, mainly for fluff and shelf life. Okay. But um, similar, still wheat flour. Mm-hmm. Um and then again, it's just baking time is the biggest difference. They say that back in the day, um, soft pretzels, 
is the that's the product that was introduced in the states. Okay. It wasn't until people started making soft pretzels that they overbaked them and accidentally created this hard product. Crunchy hard pretzel, yeah. Tried it, thought it was different, <laughs> and, and we've perfected it. Okay. You know, over the last 80 years. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been over to Germany a couple of times. There's a lot of soft pretzels. Yes. But not a lot of hard ones. Yeah. Um, I, I believe we're responsible for the hard pretzels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Again, you're you're in Hanover. Um, it is it is Snacktown, USA. Yes, sir. Are there are there more expectations when people get a, a snack from Hanover? Do they, do people know? Well, I think people know. I'm not, I'm not sure that um, just because they know they understand. Okay. Um, I think the people of Hanover understand because we have lots of options. So if you if, <laughs> you, if you have ten options, you can maybe prefer one over the other. If if you only have one option, um, you don't really have a choice. And sometimes um, we're limited by the word distribution. So um, maybe in the West Coast, they only have the option of one pretzel. Um, there's only three real big pretzel makers: Frito Lay, Snyder's, and Utz. And when you look at it that way, um, they've just recently, um, Oats and Snyder's, Hanover companies, have just recently started distribution on the West Coast yeah. within the last 10 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, as a Pennsylvanian, it's kind of cool that the two of them come from here. Oh, for sure. That. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so what's it like writing a, a, I mean, a really small place practically in the shadow of those two big companies? Well, um, as long as we can keep the quality of our product on the top, um, I think that's our advantage because um, the traffic that we have coming in here for a small business in the alley speaks for itself. A lot of repeat customers, um, people coming in at 7.15 in the morning for a soft pretzel. You wonder if they go to bed thinking about that. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think because right. I'm the one baking it. Um, I think it's been reputation with this place. This is Hanover's Bakery. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yes. Yeah. No slant, but it's. It, I mean, it's not your appearance on the outside. It's it's a door. It's eighty five eighty five year old cinder block building. Yeah. Um, but there's probably been millions and millions and millions of pretzels made in here over the years. Yeah. Yes. Just for the people that want to want to experience that, you have hours at the bakery six days a week. Yes, we bake pretzels six days a week. Our um, outlet store, which services all of our products, is open six days a week. And hours. Yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we start at 7 in the morning until 5 at the store. Tuesday, Thursday, 7 to 3. And then on Saturdays, it's 7 o'clock till 1. Okay. Yeah. All right. And if people are in Hanover to, to get pretzels, what else should we do in Hanover? Oh, gosh. We have a lot of unique items. Um, I think the easiest way for me to explain that is what is the wish list for those people who don't live here anymore? Oh, okay. okay. It seems to be Ravona pretzels are at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, loaded hot dogs with onions oh, right, and chili right. are number two, maybe. Okay. Sweet bologna. Uh-huh. Lebanon bologna. Sweet Lebanon bologna is another thing local to our region that people can't get in other areas. Yeah. And then from there, it goes down to like tasty cakes from, from up east um, to other snack foods. But I would say that Ravona is definitely in the top three favorites of people who um, who come to Hanover, search us out. They, yeah. don't, they don't come to Hanover without stopping in to see Ravona. Okay. Kevin, thank you. That'll hey, Lou, it was a pleasure talking with you. <laughs> it was a good time. All right. <laughs> thank you. Bless you. You bet.
Kevin gave us a big bag of soft pretzels to go. Thanks for that. We shook hands all around and headed for our first brewery, Aldous. Aldous is on the south side of town, only about five minutes from Ravona. It's just a set of stairs and a door on the side of a building with a relatively small sign, so yeah, that's where you're headed. It's not a huge tap room, but there was plenty of room. Friday hadn't gotten started yet. We checked the taps, and I figured there was room for one more Oktoberfest beer before the season was over. I'm glad I did, because it was a good one. Beautiful layers of classic malt, all clean and chewy. Made me happy. The bartenders were engaging without overdoing it, and the folks at the bar were similarly relaxed. I really liked the vibe here, maybe more than anywhere else. So much so that we decided to stay for another. We were drinking half pints. I got the matte finish IPA, which came on like a hazy that wasn't too sweet. Maybe like a really ripe white grapefruit. Two very good beers, and I'd definitely go back. We went back into town, like right in the center of town, where there are two breweries and a tap room, all in the same block. We went in the back entrance of Something Wicked Brewing and came out in a good-sized bar, about the same as Aldous, that flowed into a bigger room. We grabbed a seat at the bar and checked the tap list. It showed impressive variety, and that showed in the brewery that I was able to see right beside the bar. It was a neat little nano-brewery, clean and buttoned down. Made me optimistic about the beer quality. I ordered a Time Well Spelt, which was made with spelt, an ancient variety of wheat. I am a sucker for spelt beer. It just feels good to be drinking something with a link to the very ancient roots of brewing. And this one was exceptional. It was a 3.5% Pilsner, and it was crisp, bitter, and flavorful. I had no problem finishing a half pour. Dave got an ESB, which is always a pleasant surprise to find on tap. And it was a beauty, too. Great body, great British malt character. I'd have liked to have one of my own, but we had to keep moving. So he stepped next door, literally, to Fat Bats. I'm not sure what I think of two unrelated breweries right beside each other. Is it good business? Is it a rising tide floating boats? Or is it too much competition? Mostly it was convenient and awesome and great, especially because we got very good beers at both places. The Fat Bat is a cartoon bat, not a baseball reference, and the cartoon is actually based on head brewer Kevin Smith's Pug Dog. The cartoon is amusing, but I stuck to the beer. After checking the tap list, I ordered the Knockout Stout, 5.2% coffee stout, because not all coffee stouts have to be actual knockouts. It was freaking good. The coffee was present, but not overdone, and the body was good without being syrupy. I gave Dave a taste, and he decided to have one too. We wanted dinner, and there were some good options there, but I was on a mission to try the two hot dog joints in town. One was only a block away, the famous Hot Wiener. Famous Hot Wiener has been in Hanover since 1923, when it was started by Nicholas Mavros, and it's still owned and operated by his great-grandsons. Dave and I split the special, a plate of fries and two dogs with everything, mustard, a bright white mound of diced onion, and the famous chili sauce. The fries were crisp and hot and salty perfect. The dog was split to hold more sauce, and it was a dense tube of meat, no limp wiener with no bite back to it. The sauce was plentiful and hot. Nitpicking? I would have liked more mustard, which I could have asked for, and the sauce could have been more spicy. Dave thought the dog could have been a bit more done, but seriously, nitpicking. This was a damned good dog, served in a classic corner hot dog joint. Back to the beer. We walked back to the center of town, about a hundred yards, 
to the third brewery on the block, which was actually a tap room for the site of the Horse Brewery, which is east of town on York Street, just before the Snyders of Hanover factory outlet. The tap room is all tables downstairs, and we headed upstairs for the bar. The bar itself was empty at the time. The bar room, though, was full. It was trivia night, and it was all about Taylor Swift. The people were very enthusiastic. We were the oldest people in the room by a literal couple of decades, and that's probably being generous. We just wanted a beer, though, and we had the bartender all to ourselves. There was a small batch alt beer on the menu, and I'm a sucker for an alt beer. It was properly bitter and had a nicely herbal hop aroma to it. Very nice. We drank our beers, and then we headed for Baltimore. Just a few quick notes from Baltimore. We were staying only half a block from Mick O'Shea's Irish Pub, a Baltimore mainstay, so we had to go. I started with a key brewing pilsner, and Dave got a 51 rye IPA from Monument Brewing. After I tasted his, I also got that for my next round, and we stayed on that the rest of the night. I mean, we were in town for a rye whiskey thing, and it was a great beer. We went to the Rye Revival the next day, and for a first-time event, it was impressive. Very well organized and some top-notch speakers. Clay Risen, Todd Leopold, Carla DeVito, T.W. Wright, they even let me blather on a bit. The tasting part of the event was fun, in a rooftop bar a block from Baltimore's Washington Monument. We sampled a lot of Rye's from Old Line Spirits, Covalent, Catoctin Creek, McClintock, Minel Schmidt, Whistlepig, and some of the Leopold Dickel collaboration. It was fantastic. When Carlos said we should really go get dinner, I suggested the Brewer's Art, a favorite brew pub of mine, and a Baltimore institution for almost 30 years, which was conveniently only a 10-minute walk away. We went, and although it was very busy, we were able to find a table in the bar. Eventually, there were 10 of us around that table, including Dave and I and Carlo, Todd, and some folks from Maryland Distilleries. It was quite convivial. The food, as always, was excellent. I had a Flammenkuchen fratbread, and Dave got a chicken schnitzel. The beers were exceptional. We were happy to find another great ESB on tap, and I reacquainted myself with Resurrection, a fruity Belgian-style double that's been a brewer's art staple for almost 25 years. It was a great night, folks. But... Early the next morning, Dave and I packed up and headed north again, back to Hanover to bring you more good beer news. <laughs> it was a frosty rural ride through Maryland farmland, and as we neared our first stop, Meyer's Meat Market, we were seeing apples for sale at orchard stands. I finally had to stop at a place. It was just a pop-up tent in the guy's front yard. He was an older gentleman, looked to be in his mid-80s, and he said this was his last day of the season. I got a large bag of Cortland's, and a larger bag of Honeycrisps for 12 bucks. He told me it had been a bumper year for apples, and that many apples were being left on the trees, that the processors weren't offering enough to make it worth picking. That jibed with what Dave and I had been seeing, trees covered in apples, and many more just fallen on the ground. After being asked to pay $3 or more a pound for Honeycrisps in the stores, this really bothers me. Seeing families and children not able to afford any fresh fruit bothers me more. We would benefit from some system or program that got these apples to people who are hungry, who are truly needy. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I am sure there are people who do. Apples are going to waste. Food is going to waste. Anyway, Meyer's Meat Market wasn't much farther. It's a full grocery store with a lot of local and small producer stuff, but the meat counter runs for probably 40 feet or more, and it was busy. I snagged a ticket and waited my turn. 
I got a chunk of their house-made sweet bologna, cloth-wrapped and smoke-rich. Some sweet and solid smoked sausages, a house-smoked ham hock for bean soup, and the prize of the day, their own make dried beef, lean, real meat, not formed and pressed, thin-cut, but not paper-thin. I made dried beef gravy with it the next morning, and I'll tell you about that shortly. Then Dave and I went to the snack outlets. Utz is at their old Carlisle Street plant, which I learned is slated to close in the spring after almost a hundred years of operation. The jobs will be moved to a nearby more modern plant, but people are aghast at the thought of this plant, a Hanover landmark, shutting down. The resale store is large, a supermarket of snacks. Chips of all sorts, Utz, Zaps, Dirty, Golden Flake, Tim's Cascade, Hawaiian, and all in their flavors. Tortilla chips, veggie chips, pretzels, and popcorn, plus all the holiday versions, chocolate-covered, peppermint-blasted, kettle corn, in packages from minis to five-gallon drums. I got some Zaps Cajun Dill Gator Taters, some chocolate pretzels, and a bag of tortilla multigrain chips. Then we hit the Texas Hot Wiener for a late breakfast. We sat at the counter and got a very friendly waitress who got every detail down. We wanted two dogs, one each, well done, with extra mustard, sauce, and onions. Dave hit the men's room, and while he was gone, I took the opportunity to add a plate of fries with chili sauce to the order. It was more than we could eat. The dogs were substantial and meaty juicy. There was the accustomed mountain of fresh diced onion that just fell everywhere when you pick it up, and plenty of sauce. The fries were thin and crisp and numerous, with a generous ladle of sauce over the top. The sauce was meaty and good, though again, could have had a bit more spice to it. Oh, wow. Then we hit the Snyder's outlet outside of town. There was a table of their classic sourdough hard pretzels right at the door, the big bags, for 99 cents. I had to. Snyder's had a lot of pretzels, but they're part of Campbell's Soup now, and they own a lot of different snack brands, and they were all at the store. Archway Cookies, Diamond Nuts, Stelladoro Cookies, Cape Cod Chips, Pop Secret, and all the Lance Snack Crackers. Oh, and Andy's Thin Mints, which is a family tradition at Thanksgiving. So I grabbed a bag of those, too. And right at the register, as I was checking out, I found a small display of T-berry gum. You bet I got some. Snacktown really does live up to its name. Let's wrap this up with two more brewery visits. We went to Warehouse Gourmet, just northwest of the town center. It's part of a larger building, and we learned that they're expanding into more of it. Building a larger brewery, the current one is tiny. For now, the pub is up a set of exterior stairs that were sporting the last green leaves of hop vines. A nice touch. It's a cozy little bar, with the beer choices chalked on the brew house door. I got a half pint of a rye IPA, and it was a winner. Unfiltered, ripping fresh, herbal, and bitter. We chatted with the bartender, Marie, who had a chatty wealth of knowledge and an opinion on the local beer scene. It was a good time, and I'd go back. The last stop was on the way out of town headed home, the public house at the Markets. The Markets is a big open space that's a farmer's market, a little bit of flea market, and a food court. The public house is a large bar surrounded by open space and tables, but I got sidetracked by the Baltimore-style pit beef stand. I love Baltimore pit beef and plan to learn how to make it next year. A pile of thin-cut round roast, rubbed and charred on the outside but juicy rare on the inside, heaped up on a Kaiser roll with a big spoonful of screaming hot grated horseradish on top. Yeah. I got a small sandwich and took it over to the bar. It was freaking great. The public house 
had a fairly short list of beers, some seltzers, and ghost bombs, vanilla vodka shots flavored with various fruits. Weird. I got something very not weird, a collaboration pilsner they'd done with Lebanon's Snitz Creek Brewery called Hi, How Are You? A beer to raise awareness for mental health and how very easy it is to help just by asking how a friend is and then listening. Mental health issues are all around you. Engage and have a beer. It might be a pretty good one like this was, and you can talk about that too. <sighs> it was time to head home. We rolled north on an unexpectedly scenic route because I'd eh, accidentally set Google Maps to avoid highways. Oh well, it's all good when you're traveling central PA. There's more beauty around almost every corner. There's certainly more to be found in Hanover, and I'll probably be back. This trip was just a snack. That might be it for Hanover for now, but I did want to use that dried beef. Dried beef gravy was a staple in our house when I was growing up. We ate it at least twice a month. My mother used to mail the plastic packs of it to me at grad school in Pittsburgh. I'd boil potatoes and make three frugal meals off it. I hadn't made any in years. So, Sunday morning, I poured a cup of coffee and started cooking. First, I pulled out about a third of a pound of the beef, rolled it up, and sliced it into half-inch shreds. Then I put that in a nonstick skillet with a tablespoon and a half of butter and got that going, adding generous amounts of black pepper. Next, I stirred in three tablespoons of flour and kept stirring till the flour and butter were well integrated. Then I slowly added two cups of milk, stirring constantly to avoid lumping. I turned it to low and stirred occasionally. Meanwhile, I was doing a bag of onion tater tots in Nora's air fryer. They were done just about the time the gravy hit the right consistency. Creamy thick, but not gluey. Poured that over the tots, Nora chose the more classic toast pour over, and dug in. It was better than I remembered. It's definitely worth the upgrade to butcher shop dried beef. Now, maybe some cream cheese roll-ups for pre-Thanksgiving nibbles, or a cheese ball wrapped in dried beef. Oh, Thanksgiving! It's coming! Get ready for the holiday by going back and listening to our Thanksgiving episode for drink and side dish ideas. Then, look forward to fun times for the holiday season. This weekend is Williamsport's Victorian Christmas Home and Historic Building Celebration, November 17th through the 19th, with house tours, lectures on preservation, a large toy train exhibit, special food offers, and a lot of coffee. Check it out ASAP at victorianchristmaspa.com. My own town has Mary Milheim in the first weekend of December. A tree lighting, carols, nativity scene, the live music the town's known for, and more than 15 local vendors in the Milheim Hotel and the Bremen Town Ballroom on Main Street. I'll be there selling my books. Stop in. And of course, our usual Main Street shops, the Meandering Mallard Coffee Shop, Pisano Winery, and the Elk Creek Cafe. What else? Well, that same weekend, on December 2nd, it's the Altoona Christmas Parade, starting at 11 a.m. Stay for the day, review my Altoona episode for some suggestions, and take in the holiday lights on the lake at Lakemont Park. Over a million lights, over 50 acres. There is an admission fee. Check online for details. Also on the 2nd, Wellsboro celebrates their Dickens of a Christmas. When they shut down Main Street and it turns into an open-air market, concert hall, and stage. With vendors, food and drink stands, musicians, and strolling thespians and reenactors. Get your top hat and scarf, and God bless us everyone. Staying in the time frame, Belfont's Victorian Christmas is the next weekend, and honestly, there's so much going on, 
you need to hit their website or Facebook page. Google it and join us. I'll be getting some on-the-street interviews like I did at the Mifflinburg Chris Kindle Mart last year. And that's the following weekend, December 14th through the 16th. So much going on there, and we really want to go back for the Thursday night opening. It's such a nice locals thing. Wow, so much stuff. Carlisle has a Christmas market. Hanover has a parade. Johnstown has their light-up stroll tomorrow night. Bedford has their candlelit Christmas at Old Bedford Village. There are holiday events all over small-town central PA. Find some and go have some fun. Buy and eat and drink local and talk to people. I was at the Chris Kindle Market last year and got to talking to a guy at a hickory syrup stand. I bought him a drink and gave him a card for the podcast, which had just started. He became a solid listener and gave us a video shout-out at the Altoona Beer Festival. Thanks, Micah. Hope you keep getting out and about. That's the show. Thanks to Kevin Beitelspock for the interview and the soft pretzels. Hey, hey, if you usually turn off the show at this point, stick with me this one time. We've got some stuff to talk about that I think you're going to find interesting. Remember, I'm going on a short hiatus after this episode. I'll be relaxing with the family for Thanksgiving, then working on a lot of episode of What's Brewing PA, maybe one of them on a train, and hopefully moving back into our house and working on the holiday episode. We'll see you back here on December 16th with that holiday show, which we're going to go ahead and call the start of season two, because I'll be making some changes. For one, the show needs to make some money. Writing is a job for me. It has been for almost 30 years, and this is no different. There are two choices. Move the show to a subscription base or take ads or sponsors. Each comes with ups and downs, but I've got to do one or the other to stay on the air. No matter how it works out, the content of the show will not be compromised and will not be bought. I'll shut it down before I do that. I am going to tweak the direction of the content. I'm going to be leaning in more on what it's like out here in our part of the world. I've got an episode I've been thinking about on river towns, Harrisburg, Sealands Grove, Lock Haven, Sunbury, Williamsport, Jersey Shore. We might head up into the woods to Renovo, Salatisburg, Cowdersport, and St. Mary's. By the way, do you know the name of Pennsylvania State's song? It's Pennsylvania. Yeah, don't feel bad if you didn't know. It's wildly generic. It's like they made it down at Build-A-Song. Anyway, you seem to like whiskey and beer, and I'm going to do more on that. But I also want to do some food history. I've found out this year that things aren't necessarily what I've been told about with some foods, like whoopie pies and Texas hot dogs, boilo, and Pennsylvania's homegrown variations on pizza. I've found some new foods to me, like soupies and ham pot pie. We're going to dig into this stuff. First, though, the holiday show is coming. Still trying to nail down the main interview, but we'll have treats and festivals and some surprises. It'll be worth the wait. But I've already got the post-Christmas week show largely completed, so plan on sitting back in your new pajamas with a big mug of leftover Christmas cheer and a plate of cookies to listen to that one. Until the first show of our second season. Wow. It's been a wild, rough, wonderful year. Thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Scene Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.